And and you guys can be seated as as we have one more song for you. Uh, and I want you, it'll be on the screens, I want you to sing along with us because it goes right along with the last song um, and it's called By This We Know Love. Um, because of what God did for us, this is how we know what true love is. So sing along with us.
than the God-man lay down his life for wretched sinners. That is how we know love today, because what Christ did for us. Let's go ahead and take a a few minutes of, of fellowship before we get to the sermon.
All right, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, and we have been walking our way to the cross, going step by step, taking every step that Jesus took on His road to the cross. And you guys know that it's been a dark few sermons, as we've been in the darkest night, really, of, of all history. And today we come to a passage that doesn't get much brighter. It's actually the darkest act on the darkest night of history. We get to see what's been called here, this, this passage, this act, has been called the lowest act of human depravity, the lowest place that mankind could ever go. It's been called the worst sin imaginable. It's been called the most evil act in all of history. Today we're going to look at, I've titled the sermon, The Kiss of Death. And this is, again, one of the darkest acts on the darkest night of all, of all humanity. So I want to look at verses 47 to 56, but I want to show you that in the middle of the darkest moment of human history, that we get to see Jesus shining the brightest and the most beautiful. I want you to see Jesus today. I want you to see how he deals with this treacherous act. I want you to see how he deals with this terrible person. I want you to see Jesus in all of his glory today. I want you to want to worship Jesus even more after this passage today. So let's stand together, and I want you to see the kiss of death. We're going to read verses 47 to 56. The kiss of death. I know this is familiar to you, but I want us to to dig deep and to see this, and to feel it, and to know it. Verse 47, it says, And while he, that's Jesus, yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude, with swords and staves, from the chief priests and elders of the people. And now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same as he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master! And he kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they, and they laid hands on Jesus, and they took him. This will be the first time they've ever laid hands on Jesus. They've tried, and they've tried, and they've tried, and now they've got him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priests and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up your sword into its place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot pray to my Father, and he shall presently in this moment give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? And in that same hour said Jesus to the multitudes, Are you come out against a a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and yet ye laid no hold on me. But all this was done, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him, and they fled. We see here the kiss of death, the darkest act and the darkest night of all history. So let's pray together, and we'll study these verses. Father, I know this is a tough passage, and they they all have been. It seems like it's getting darker and darker and darker as we build to really uh, the dark moment of the cross. And God, I know these are hard passages to hear. These are hard to study. But God, I, I pray that you would let us see in this, not just the darkness of what Judas does, but the the brightness of how Jesus reacts. Help us, God. Please help me to show the people in the pews today. They don't want to see Judas. They want to see Jesus. So help me to show them Jesus. Help me to see Jesus. 
We must see Jesus today. We want to worship Jesus. We want to love Him more and serve Him to a greater capacity. We want to obey Him and, and follow Him. We want to proclaim Him far and wide. So help us to see Jesus in a greater light than we ever have before. Show us Jesus in this passage today. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The day after Pearl Harbor, President Roosevelt gave a speech. And in this speech, President Roosevelt said, and I quote, Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a day that will live in infamy, the United States was attacked by Japan. I won't finish out the, the, the quote there, but he's saying here this day, this act will live in infamy. This, this, this act will go down in history, and it has, as one of the worst acts that has ever been performed by anybody in any day. It did go down in infamy. It has a reputation of being one of the worst days in, in American history. And it's, it's not the only one. We can look at a, at a lot of days and a lot of events and a lot of acts through our history and say this stands out as one of the worst that we've ever seen. And I wrote down just a few of them off the top of my head. Uh, you, you would say the Holocaust of World War II. One of the most atrocious acts in all of human history. We look back at that time and, and we cringe at what happened there as there was a mass murder of a, of a large group of, of Jewish people. It stands in infamy as one of the worst times in all of history. The assassination of JFK. The Roe versus Wade decision where abortion became legal and millions upon millions of babies have been slaughtered in the womb as a cause of this decision. One of the worst days in all of human history. We can look at 9-11 when there was a, a senseless attack on our nation where thousands of people uh, unexpectedly died in, in a moment and in, in, a, in a second they were hit with airplanes and died. It was a terrible day. And these are just a few of the worst, again, events and moments and, and acts of all time. But, and you guys could add some to your own list and say, well, what about this day and what about this act and, and this moment? This was awful. This was atrocious. This was murderous. This was the, the worst thing you could ever think. And there's all kinds of events that we could put on a, on a list of, of bad things. But at the top of everybody's list is this event. It's this day. Is this moment. This stands out above all the others. And it's not a, a, a holocaust, it's not an assassination with a, with a rifle, it's not a, a decision to, to rip babies out of their mother's wombs, it's not airplanes going into buildings, it is a, a kiss. A despicable, ugly, repulsive kiss. And that's what we want to look at today. We want to see the, the kisser, or the kissing one, which is Judas. It says there, Judas, one of the, the twelve, He's a close, you guys know who Judas is. He's one of, one of the uh, disciples. He's one of the close personal friends of Jesus. He was chosen by Jesus, handpicked by Jesus. He forsook everything that he had and followed Jesus for three years. He saw the miracles. He heard the sermons. He felt the love. He was a trusted follower of Jesus. Three great years, Judas followed Jesus. A life. That everybody would look up to and say, wonderful Judas. And in one moment, in one act, he ruined it all. In this act, he commits the worst sin imaginable. He turns on Jesus. He sells Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. He turns Jesus in to the authorities and he seals the whole thing with a kiss. It doesn't get any worse. It doesn't get any lower than what Judas did. This act is the worst of all human history. This man may be the worst man 
in all of human history. But in the middle of all that ugliness and all that deception and all that hypocrisy, there stands one. The one who is kissed stands out above everybody else. He stands here, Jesus, as He deals with the worst act and the worst person. The blackness of Judas, we get to see the brightness of Jesus. We get to see the beauty of Jesus. And I want you, and I'm jumping into the passage, I want you to see Jesus here. We're going to deal with a lot of injustices in life. We're going to deal with a lot of difficult people in life. And Jesus is here dealing with the worst of injustices and the worst of people. And I want you to see how He does it. And I want you to learn from Jesus, and not just learn from Jesus' example, which we can. I want you to love Jesus even more for how He handles the worst act in human history. So let's look at this. Let's see how Jesus receives the kiss of death. I only have two points for you. I want to show you these two people. I want to show you Judas, and I almost titled the sermon that, Judas versus Jesus. I want to show you the, the one who kisses and the one who is kissed. I want to show you, first of all, the kiss of treachery. It starts there in verse 47. It says, and while he yet spake, while, while, while Jesus is speaking, it goes back up to verse 46, as he walked out of the garden, and he's been with his disciples, and he's been in the depths of the garden, and he's been praying and talking to the Father face to face. And as he's standing there with his disciples, he sees a crowd coming. It says, and while he yet spake, lo, I like that word lo. Well, look who it is. <laughs> That's what it is. Where's he been? He walked out of the upper room. He left the, the, the Lord's Supper and he walked out to go and betray and sell Jesus out. And the disciples are all sitting there thinking, where's Judas? Jesus knows exactly where Judas is. But here, as, as Jesus is talking, it says, well, lo, Judas. Hey, there he is. Look who it is. We've been wondering where he's at. There comes Judas. One of the twelve, it says. He's not an enemy. I'd say he's worse than an enemy. He's a pretend friend. And he's leading. It says there, one of the twelve came. And with him, he's out in front. This is the, the blind leading the blind. He's leading a large group of people there. It says a, a great multitude. So he looks out and, and he sees, Jesus does, Torches coming and, and hears the marching and, and out in front of them is, is Judas, one of the twelve, and behind them is a great multitude of people on their way. Great multitude would be a mega crowd. Huge crowd of people are on their way. And he's bringing with him, who is this crowd? It says here, and, and we're going to use Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 18 to kind of pull this crowd together. Who's marching behind Judas? It's almost like he's leading the band of soldiers into, into war. Who is it? You have corrupt religious leaders, it says right here, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves and his chief priests and its elders. There would be scribes there. It would be temple guards there. It would be the highest religious authorities of the day. They're marching with Judas. He's went and grabbed the religious leaders. And not only them, who's carrying the, the swords and the staves? The swords and the, the clubs? That would be the Roman soldiers. John 18 says it would be a band of men, which would be the equivalent of 600 soldiers. So now you see this crowd is getting bigger. 
Maybe 60 or 70 religious leaders are there. And then 600 Roman soldiers, pagan, godless soldiers with torches and swords and clubs. They're coming for all-out war against Jesus. Fully armed, ready for a fight. There's going to be a war, they think, in this garden. This is representative of the whole world. You've got the pagan Roman soldiers and you've got the... Uh, Religious leaders of the day. And they've joined forces in a unanimous support, not for Jesus, but against Jesus. Jesus said the world would hate Him, and now the world has come together, not to seek Him to worship Him, but to seek Him to kill Him. To arrest Him. A whole army versus one unarmed carpenter. They've come in full force and full agreement against Jesus. And, and they've got a plan, it says here. Look at verse 20, or verse 48. It says, and now he that betrayed, that says the, the betrayed, that betrayed Jesus, the betrayer, gave them a sign. Judas has gathered with this crowd of people like he's the commander. The religious leaders and the, the soldiers and he's all sitting there. He's like, okay, we gotta have a, have a plan when we go in here. You gotta be ready for Jesus. I know him. Three years with him? I know what he's capable of. I've seen him walk on water. You better be careful. I've seen him cast out demons. You better be careful. I've seen him stand before a, a storm that everybody was scared to death of. And he calmed it with one word. You better be ready. Bring your club. Bring your sword. you got to be ready for Jesus. So he says, here's how we're going to identify him. Which tells me Jesus didn't stand out. He didn't have a halo over his head. He's one of the twelve. Here's how we'll know who he is. It's dark. So here's what we're going to do. Whoever I kiss, <laughs> you grab a hold of him and you don't let go. Because he could run. You'd never find him. That's why they had the torches. They think they're going to have to go on a, on a search and bring the dogs after Jesus. So you better grab a hold of him. The one I kiss, you better, you better get a hold of him and, and arrest him and, and tie him up and handcuff him and, and don't let him go. The one that I kiss. It shows how low Judas has went. It shows how dark his heart is. He could have chosen any sign he wanted to choose. He could have said, the guy that I give a handshake to, you know, get him. The guy that I point out, get him. The guy that I nudge, get him. The guy that I give an elbow to, you get him. But he chose the, the lowest of the low. The guy that I kiss, you grab him. Even Jesus said in Luke 22, you're betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? It's shameless. It's disgusting. It's calloused. It's cold. It's the lowest form of betrayal that you could possibly do. There's no lower than this. There's a stabbing in the back where you go up to somebody. That's what a stabbing in the back is where you go up and, and hug and act like a friend and, and stab them in the back while you do it. This isn't a hug. This is a kiss. So Judas comes to Jesus. It says, verse 49, and forthwith, that's a good word, <laughs> forthwith. You guys need to use that. Add that to your vocabulary. It means immediately. It means without hesitation. It means he, Judas wasn't reluctant at all. 
Sometimes when you plan things and you're like, okay, I'm going to do it. I used to do that when, when I was, a, I don't want to say too much, but when I was in college, you know, you're, you're, you're young. You're, you think you, nothing could ever harm you. I can jump off this cliff into that lake. It's no big deal. You're like, okay, guys, all my buddies are together. We're all going to do it. Like, yeah, yeah, let's go. And then you get to the, to the ledge and you think, maybe not. That's a lot higher than I expected. You go first. I want to see if you survive. You know, Judas might have had second, th- second thoughts. Judas is thinking, okay, do I really want to do this? I'm, I'm fired up with the crowd, but when I get there and I see his face, the one who has been so kind to me, who has taken great care of me, who's shown me great mercy and care and love, you'd think that when he saw Jesus, and there he is, that he would think, I can't do this. Forthwith says he had no second thoughts at all. He walked immediately up to Jesus and he grabbed him by the face. And he says, Hail, Master. Or, Hail, Rabbi. Or, Praise be the teacher. That's what that means. These are a greeting of honor and respect from a man who disrespects and dishonors. What a fake. Walks up and says, Blessed be the teacher. What fake words. And he grabs him by the face. He touches the very face of God. And he kisses him. He says, look. Hail master. And he kissed him. Slaves. Kissing was big then. Slaves would kiss the master's feet. Enemies would kiss the king's ring. Psalm 2. Kiss the ring. Lowly would kiss the palm. Equals would kiss the cheek. Judas walks up to Jesus and kisses him on the cheek as an equal. And it's not just a peck. <laughs> That's, there's two words here that, that are used differently. If you, if you see there in, in verse 48, it says, and whosoever I shall kiss, that's a peck. That's just a on the cheek. But when you look, look down in verse 49, and forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail Master, and he kissed him. That's a different word altogether, the word kiss here. This kiss here is Luke 15, prodigal son kiss, where the, the father sees the son from afar off, and the father runs and grabs upon his shoulders and kisses him repeatedly, ongoingly, not, not stopping, over and over and over. He's kissing him on one side and on the other. It's... Just over and over and over and over. It's over the top. He wants to make sure that everybody knows who to grab. This is the most intimate sign of personal affection. This is a sign of great love from a man who hates. So Judas walks up, grabs him by the face, and kisses him. And the betrayal is over. At that moment, he could have grabbed him and said, no, 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 I'm done. I can't do it. But it's over. It's done. It's unthinkable. It's the worst act in human history. You see how far Judas has fallen. You see how low he has gone. You see how hard his heart has become that Judas could betray the very man who loved him the most. That Judas is turning his back on the one who had chosen him. This is a hypocritical act. You know that. It gets no more hypocritical than this. 
He is the prototypical hypocrite. He is one of the twelve. This is not an out-and-out enemy. The most dangerous people in the church is not the enemies of the church, it's the enemies within the church who act like friends. The worst of sin is not the open sin of society, it's the hidden sin of hypocrisy. He's so close to Jesus. As close as anyone who ever lived. That he could actually go up and say he touched the face of God. Nobody gets any closer than that. It's as if, I mean, he was with him. Touched him, felt him, knew him. And the whole time he was a fake. He put on a show. He wore a mask. He was a pretend friend and a secret enemy. It doesn't get any lower than Judas. But do you know what? There's Judas's in every generation. Maybe not to the point where they can walk up and, and kiss the face of the Son of God, but to the point where you can be in church, to in the point where you could be in the pew, in the point where you could hear the very words of God and see the works of God as He's changing heart and, and, and changing lives and, and doing miraculous things amongst the people and you're there and you're a part and the whole time you'd be wearing a mask. Singing, giving, serving, but one day the mask will come off. It always does. Apostasy is always the catastrophe of hypocrisy. Hypocrites always fall away. I've seen it too many times. It could be something they love more than Christ that pulls them away. It could be money. It could be a job. It could be a sin. It could be that the cost is too high and Jesus is asking too much and I just can't do that and go that far anymore and the mask comes off. But it always comes off. This is hypocrisy at its worst, but this is heartbreak. You need to understand that. When Jesus is kissed on the face, His heart breaks. He loved Judas. The disciples loved Judas. You should hear some of the things that is said about Judas throughout history. I could tell you story after story after story of how awful he is remembered throughout history. I mean, we won't even name a dog Judas. But when the disciples in the Gospels speak of Judas, they don't say anything bad. It's always, he was one of us. He was one of the twelve. He was so close. And he fell so far. They saw him walk away and it broke their hearts. It didn't so much anger them as it did break them. To see him walk away. To see him turn from the only hope that he had. To see him destroy his life. To see him waste an opportunity. Judas kissed the Savior and ended up in hell. Judas heard the sermons. And ended up in hell. Judas saw the miracles. And ended up in hell. And Judas walks away from this moment. Empty and miserable and hopeless. Because he turned his back on the only hope for forgiveness that anybody has. And this happens all the time in church. There are hypocrites in every church. Who wear a mask. Sing the songs. Listen to the sermons. Serve. They're a part 
And then eventually over time, the mask comes off and the heart of the church breaks as they walk away, not from the church, but from Christ. And they walk away from the only hope that they have. They walk away and destroy their life. They walk away and waste an opportunity. Their hypocrisy becomes apostasy. And the pastor's heart breaks. And the church's heart breaks. When we see people turn into to Judas and walk away, our heart breaks for them. It's tragic. It's injustice. It's treachery. It's the lowest of the low. But in the midst of this, I know it's very sobering. It's when Jesus shines the brightest. It's when He's the most beautiful. So I want to take you to the, to the second person in the story. There's only two people mentioned by name. Judas and Jesus. So let's move from the, the kiss of treachery to the kiss of triumph. As now Jesus shines so bright. Verse 50, we get the first words of Jesus in this story. And Jesus said unto him, I like this, Jesus responds. How would you respond? That's the question. What would you do? He knew he was a a liar. He knew he was a hypocrite. He knew he was betraying him. He knew he'd sold him for 30 pieces of silver. He knew all that. If you knew someone was betraying you, walking up to kiss you and turn you in, how would you react? I was thinking about that this week. If somebody was doing that to me, I would probably punch them square in the face. You snake in the grass. That's how we would. But what does Jesus do? I mean, that, that, that's us. We would respond in, in hatred. But Jesus responds in love. To the worst act in history, to, to a secret enemy, Jesus says, look at this. Friend. Friend. Not you snake. Not you whitewashed tomb. Friend. This is love. This is goodwill. It might even be a strand of mercy that Jesus is extending to Judas one more time. Did you ever ever think about that? Over and over and over, when Jesus deals with Judas, He's always offering an offer of mercy. Here's your chance. You can be forgiven. You're not in hell yet. You have breath in your lungs. And as long as there's breath in your lungs, there's chance for repentance. Don't do this, friend! You're sitting here today and and maybe you're in in sin, living how you shouldn't live. There's a, a strand of mercy that Jesus offers you now. Forgiveness is available now. You can have it. Don't turn it away. Don't kiss the cheek and walk away. Friend, this is how Jesus treats His enemies. He loves them. This is how we must treat our enemies. Love them. You say, why should we do that? Well, one, because Jesus did it. And second, because Jesus told us to. Listen to this. Matthew 5, verse 43. You've you've heard that it hath been said... Thou shalt love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what people say. That's how we live, ain't it? We love those who love us and hate those who hate us. That's the lowest form of love. But Jesus said, I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. 
Is that not exactly what Jesus is doing here? Judas hates him. Judas despitefully uses him and persecutes him. Judas turns him in. And Jesus loves him. Looks at him and says, friend, can you imagine, just in my thinking of it, that when Judas walked up, he thought he was something else. Turning him in, getting me 30 pieces of silver. i got 600 people behind me. That's all for me. There's nothing you can do, Jesus. I got you now. You're making me live with you for three years, and then you're going to die and leave me with nothing? I'll show you, Jesus. And he walks up to Jesus, and he betrays him, just kind of, you know, just wickedly. And then Jesus says, friend? And Judas's face just melts. He wanted Jesus to respond in hate. Our enemies want us to respond in hate. Those who hate the church and hate Christ and hate Christians, they want us to be just as hateful as they are. But Jesus says, friend, Jesus is still showing love. Next we see Jesus not just showing love, but Jesus not fighting back. Look at this. This is my favorite part of the story. He looked at him and said, friend, where have you come? And then they came and they, they grabbed him. They, 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 then came they and laid hands on Jesus and they took him. They grabbed a hold of him. They got, they, got, they got him tied down now. They got handcuffs on him. And behold, verse 51, <laughs> Jesus is now in the hands of angry sinners. And those sinners will soon be in the hands of, ang- of an angry God. It says in verse 51, and behold, out of nowhere. <laughs> I like that. You know, I mean, just, they got a hold of Jesus. It, it looks bad. And then all of a sudden, somebody out of nowhere, and it says somebody there, one of them, one of the 11, take a wild guess who it was. Oh, Peter, man. <laughs> Peter's just ready to go. Pulls out his sword and says, charge! <laughs> Swinging that thing wildly. Attack! <laughs> you know? Look what it says, and behold, he took out his sword, he stretched out his hand, drew his sword, struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. I read this week that Peter swinging that sword, starts swinging that Peter is either very, very accurate, that he was aiming at the ear and got it, or he was awful and he was aiming at his head and got his ear. I don't think he was aiming at the ear. I think that he went to cut off the head of what John 18 says is a man named Malchus. And as he goes to cut off the head of Malchus, Malchus dodges and he cuts off his ear. And it doesn't say it here, but Jesus heals Malchus' ear. Malchus is an enemy of Jesus. Come to arrest Jesus, put him to trial and put him on a cross. And Jesus takes and puts the ear back and heals it completely. Still showing compassion and love to his enemies at the worst possible moment. And Jesus looks up (laughs) at Peter and he says, Put up your sword, Peter! (laughs) Put that thing away! What are you doing? And, And he gives him a reason here why. Watch this. Put up the sword for... All they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. You say, what does that mean? If you're going to use the sword, you're going to get punished for using the sword. 
That's what he's saying. If you're going to cut this guy's ear off, or even his head off, then there's going to be four crosses on that heel, and you're going to be beside me. They're going to punish you. So Jesus had to put the ear back on, so Peter didn't end up on a cross with him. And then he says, I like this, do do you really think I need your protection, Peter? (laughs) Do you really think that you're going to save me with a sword when I'm going to save you with a cross? Look what he says, verse 53. Thinkest thou that I can't pray to my Father, and he shall presently, which is the word immediately on the spot, give me more than 12 legions of angels if I want it. He looks at Peter and says, you're pulling out a sword? And if I pray and ask my Father, I have access immediately to 12 legions of angels. How many is 12 legions? you guys have any idea? 12 legions of angels, I know you want to know this, is 72,000 angels. I have access. You get what he's saying there? I have access to all the angels that I want. I think it is 2 Kings 19 that God sent one angel and that one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians. If one angel can kill 185,000 Assyrians, what do you think God can do with 72,000 angels? Jesus is saying, put the sword up. If I wanted it, I'd have it. I don't need help. He says, this is a part of the plan. But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled if I stop this? It has to be this way. The the sheep must be led to slaughter. And the sheep must be led to slaughter quietly, peacefully, calmly, willingly, not going to war. That's the plan. So let me apply this just for a second. Peter acts like most of us act. Emotionally. Peter doesn't get it. He's acting without thinking. If he would just stop and thought, how many times have I ever seen Jesus take out a sword? He never has. Jesus is without weapon. The only weapon he had was the truth of the Word of God. And Peter's not doing that. He's not, he's not thinking. Spurgeon actually said that Peter would have been better off clasping his hands together in prayer than pulling out a sword. But he's just like a lot of us who likes to take things into our own hands. Reacting emotionally. That somebody makes us mad and we pull out the phones and we say, this is going on Facebook. <laughs> without stopping. Without praying. Without thinking. We'd be better off when somebody makes us angry instead of responding immediately but clasping our hands together in prayer. You didn't think I'd be taking a sword and stepping on your toes today, did you? You we, We act way too impulsively. And Jesus shows here, this is not how things are to be done. We don't fight. That's not the way. He's not called the church to fight. He's called the church to be at peace. He, he didn't give us a sword. He gave us His Word. He didn't tell us to kill. He told us to heal. He didn't tell us to use worldly methods to advance our cause. Our weapons are not carnal, but are spiritual. Our greatest weapons are prayer and the Word of God. Not a sword that we're going to take and fight the culture. If we want to change the world, it's going to be the same way Jesus did through a cross and the message of the cross, not by taking a sword. And the church throughout the ages has tried to advance the cause through power instead of through humility. 
The way we change the world is one heart at a time. We don't cut off ears, we pierce hearts. And we pierce hearts with the word of God. So now, verse 54, verse 55, Jesus starts talking to the crowd. (laughs) Do you see that I love how Jesus responds to this injustice? First of all, he he responds with love, not hate. You, You see that? Then he responds with peace, not war. This is not pacifism. If, if somebody, we can defend ourselves if somebody tries to attack us. We can go to war, but we do not advance the cause of the church by fighting. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the warmongers. Amen. So he responds in, in love, not hate, and, and with peace, not war. And then he here responds by confronting them with truth. With the truth. Look what he says. And at that same hour, said Jesus to the multitudes, and in John 18 it says that He asked them, who are you after? <laughs> who are you seeking? What's the name on the warrant? Who, who, are you, who are you here to get? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And He looks at them, and, and we'll get into John 18 in a second. I talked about it last week. But He says to them, and you've come out here to treat me like a thief? You've come after me with swords and with clubs to try to get me? You're treating me like a thief? You're treating me like a hardened criminal? You're treating me like I'm, I'm some sort of rebel or robber or revolutionary? You're treating me like some common criminal? That's how you're treating me? Really? And then he says, I've been sitting every single day in the temple teaching and you didn't grab a hold of me. Why? He is here confronting them, questioning them He's turned it all around. I've been sitting there teaching. Kids come up to me. I have no weapons. I'm not trying to start a revolution. I'm I'm not robbing anybody. I'm not a rebel. I'm not an insurrectionist. You've seen me. You've watched me. I've been at peace and I've been loving everybody. I've done done nothing wrong. I'm I'm innocent. I'm I'm not hiding. There's, There's no secrets. Why didn't you get me then? Why are you waiting till it's dark to get me? If you think I've done something so wrong. I've been out in the open. And you're coming in secret. I've been in the light. You're doing it in the dark. You see how he's turning the tables on him? You're the guilty one, not me. I've done nothing wrong. He's interrogating the crowd. He's interrogating the the mob. He's charging them with a crime. Because he has none. He's innocent. Luke 22 says that he adds here, but this is your hour in the power of darkness. And all this, this great act of injustice, Jesus is treated like a robber. He is traded for a robber. He is hung between two robbers. And he has been treated this way by a group of religious leaders who had made God's house a den of robbers. And he's done nothing wrong. It's the greatest act of injustice that history has ever seen. And he responds with the truth. Doesn't fight. Because he knows he's blameless. And there's not a thing he's done wrong. And he just lets them take him. Why? 
Verse 56, all this was done that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. All this was done that the Scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Every last detail, I've underlined and I've circled that word all. Every bit of this is done. Even the worst, you need to get this, all this has been done, every bit of it, to fulfill Scripture. Jesus has let Judas kiss him. Jesus was betrayed, but he wasn't fooled. Judas thought he was in control. (laughs) Judas thought he had it all planned out. Judas had this conspiracy all ready to go. I'll kiss him. And and he had it out in front of everybody. Judas thought he was in control. The soldiers thought they were in control. (laughs) They had their swords ready to go. Lamps if he run. Clubs ready to, to knock him over the head. We'll get him. We're in control. The religious leaders thought they were in control. They finally had him arrested in their hands. The disciples, Peter, tried to take control. I'll get it. Don't you worry, Jesus. I know you're in trouble. Peter, to save the day. But through it all, there's only one who's in complete control. (laughs) That's pretty good. Everybody, and, and that's the way we are in our world today, everybody thinks they're in control of their own lives. Are we, we, you, you with me on that? You, you look at the White House, they think they've got everything under control, and they come out every day and tell you how much control they have. We got this. Don't you worry. Science comes up. We got it. We'll take care of this. Don't you worry. We are the experts. Right? They're in control. Everybody thinks you're in control. And I can bring it down even, even further. Every single one of you think you're in control of your own lives. You're right. I got it. I'm in control. I'll take care of this. We even think we control our own destinies. I'm in control. Just like these people here. Judas thought it. Soldiers thought it. Religious leaders thought it. Disciples trying to take control. But Jesus says here, every single event was done to fulfill the Scriptures. Jesus is in control of this. The whole thing. He's standing in front of 600 to 1,000 people and all the forces of hell and He doesn't run and He doesn't panic because He knows who's in control. Wow. I can listen to the White House. I can listen to the Congress and the Senate. I can listen to the experts. I can listen to the news, Fox News, MSNBC, CNN. And they all just say, okay, we got it, we got it. How do you go to bed at night? Because I know who really has it. What does he have? All things under control. If he has the worst moment in human history under complete control, then don't you think he has our lives under control? You better believe he does. Spurgeon said it, I've said it a thousand times from this pulpit that the pillow I lay my head down on at night is the sovereignty of Almighty God. That I could rest knowing that I'm not in control, He is. Is that not making Him look so beautiful in the midst of all this badness? Judas thinks he's in control, but really Jesus is. Judas, even the soldiers, you with me on this? None of this happened outside of the the power and the sovereignty of God. Jesus let Judas kiss him. Jesus let Judas betray him. Jesus chose for Judas to betray him. Judas isn't in control. How about this one? The soldiers grabbed him. Ha ha, gotcha. Not before 
he knocked every single one of them down with one word. <laughs> I, mean, I told you that last week, John 18. He said, who are you here to get? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. And every single one of them, 600 to 1,000 of them, fell like bowling pins. Me bowling, not you. All of them fell down. <laughs> That's how, think about that. He said, Ego am I. I am the name of Almighty God. And those soldiers who thought they were in control fall down. I think that's why Peter took out the sword. He thought, Jesus, just say it again. I'll hit him again. <laughs> Jesus thought he could pull out, or Judah, Peter thought he could pull out the sword because he knew Jesus was in control. Say, so go, am I again? I'll get another ear. <laughs> right? I mean, it's, Peter would have never. Peter was a coward. He would have never tried to fight him on his own. He, he, he's, he's behind Jesus saying, let me get him. <laughs> you know? Let me at him. I'll get another ear. Soldiers weren't in control. One word and he could knock every one of them down. Didn't he say? He, we just said it. That if I wanted to. <laughs> if I desired it. I'd get 72,000 angels down here. Wipe all y'all out. You ain't in control, I am. Religious leaders thought they were in control. Can you see the, smug, the, the, the look on their faces? Smug look. As they finally got him, they hate him. They hate that he claims to be the Son of God, the Messiah. They hate that. Finally, they see the Roman soldiers get him in handcuffs. And they're sitting there thinking, got you now! And Jesus is the one who laid out his hands and said, go ahead and cuff them. If I didn't give you my hands, you never would have got them. <laughs> You're not in control of this religious leaders. I am. And watch this. End of verse 56. All the disciples forsook him and fled. Did that catch Jesus off guard? Oh no! My eleven courageous disciples have left me. It's all going to fall now. Not at all. Verse 31. Just a few verses before Jesus said, All of you shall be offended because of me this night. <laughs> For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered abroad. Jesus even knew His disciples would run away. Who's in control of this? Jesus is. Let me say this and I'm, I'm going to close. Jesus is no victim here. Jesus is not helpless here. He's not under the grip of the forces of hell here. Jesus here, and you need to see it this way. Jesus here isn't pitiful. Jesus here is powerful. Jesus here is strong. Jesus here is our champion. Jesus here is purposely, voluntarily, obediently allowing every single thing to happen so He can go and drink the cup of God's wrath filled with our sin. He's doing that for us. Who's He doing that for? Get this. He's doing it for the fake religious leaders. He's doing it for the pagans of the world. He's doing it for fleeing and hiding disciples. He's not doing it for the best people in the world. He's doing it for the worst people in the world. He's doing it for the likes of you and me. That's amazing. 
What a Savior. John 18, I've got to go there. I was reminded of this verse after the sermon last week. John 18. Let me, let me just read it again to you. You can never have too much Scripture in a sermon. I'm going to read John 18, verse 1. It said, when Jesus had spoken these words, this is the same story. He went forth, great phrase, went forth, with His disciples over the brook Kidron, where, he was, where was a garden into which He entered it, and His disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed Him, knew the place, for Jesus oftentimes resorted thither with His disciples. Judas then, having received the band, there it is, the band of soldiers, of men, officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon Him, He went forth, as twice it says He went forth in that passage. He's going to them. They're not chasing Him. He went forth and said unto them, Who, who are you seeking? Whose name's on the what you're after? Who, who, who are you after? And they answered Him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said unto Him, Ego am I. I am. Exodus 3. What's the name of God? Moses said, well, who am I going to tell Pharaoh who has sent me? And God said out of the bush, tell him I am that I am has sent you. Not that I was or I will be, but I am. Amen. Jesus used the name of God and they just, by those words, just fell down. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And we'll come back to that in a second. And as soon as then as he had said unto them, I am, they fell backwards and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he answered, I've told you that I am. If therefore you seek me, let these disciples go their way. That the saying might be fulfilled which he spake of them, which thou gavest me, I've lost none. And Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his, his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Probably the first one to grab Jesus. I wonder what Malchus thought. I mean, there Jesus has just knocked down 600 soldiers with a word. There Jesus has replaced his ear. There's some that say he picked up the ear and put it back. There's some say, that say that Jesus actually just, just created a brand new ear for him. This is the last miracle Jesus would ever perform before the resurrection. What did Malchus think? Who in the world is this? There's stories that say Malchus went on to get saved. We don't know. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up your sword into its sheath. The cup which my Father hath given me, shall I not drink it? You don't want me to take this sin? You don't want me to drink the cup? You don't want me to die? Jesus faced this injustice. Not hating people, but loving them. Jesus faced this not fighting, not going to war, but peacefully. Jesus faced this not as a, a criminal, but innocently. Innocent as a dove. Jesus faced this not with panic, but with complete and total control. Jesus laid down His life. No man took it. What a picture. This gives us of Jesus. In the darkest time of his life, 
he shines the brightest. It ought to make us worship him and love him, but it also ought to make us want to follow his example of facing injustice the same exact way, with love and peace and truth and trust. Go back and rewatch that and say, that's how I want to face this, this world that is so wicked. We're going to need this in the future. How do I face what they're going to throw at me? I want to face it with love and peace and truth and trust. That God has complete control of it all. Amen. So in closing, I want you to see in Matthew 26, there's two groups in the garden. It's like they're picking teams. I don't know if you see that. There's only two names that are given in, in, in Matthew 26. We have Malchus in, in John 18, but in Matthew 26, it's just two names. It's, it's Judas and it's Jesus. You have the crowd and you have Christ. There's only two groups. And I say this all the time because there's only two groups in all the world. You're either in the group with the crowd or you're in the group with Christ. You're either in the group with Judas. It said in John 18, Judas has chosen where to stand. He was with Jesus and he apostatized and walked away and turned his back on Jesus and he's now walking with the crowd. That's apostasy. My question to you today is, which group do you stand with? It's easy to say I stand with Jesus in a church. Is it not today? Yeah, we're going to sing. We're going to give. We're going to listen to a sermon. Uh, Josh is going to go on and on and on. But, but I'm, a, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower at church. I've chosen my side and I stand with Jesus. Right? That would be everybody in here. If I ask you to close your eyes, bow your heads, and I say, okay, raise your hand. If you're with Jesus, I'd say everybody in here would say, yeah, that's me. You know where it gets hard? When you walk out these front doors and you go out and you live your life and you go to school and you go to work and you're around your friends and everybody else is trying to pull you away from Christ. There is where it really matters. Which side are you on? Are you on the side with the crowd? The pagan soldiers and the corrupt religious leaders and the hypocrite Judas? Or are you on the side with Christ? All of us must choose where we'll stand in this world today. You with me? We all have to choose where we'll stand today. We have to choose where we'll stand. Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we choose to serve the Lord. I would hope that everybody in here as we pray, that are Christians, that as it gets darker, and it's going to get darker, as it gets worse, and it will get worse, as the world starts to hate Christians even more than they do today. Jesus said, if they hated me, guess what? They're going to hate you. If he's here, he becomes the target of all the persecution and the hatred and, and, and everything that they can throw at him. But as he ascended into heaven and sent his spirit to us, we now become, and throughout all of history, become the object of the world's hatred. We've had great peace and prosperity and popularity in America, but we're losing that today. And now it's time for the, the world is throwing everything they have at us, and we have to choose. And many today, in the last two years, have chosen to go with the crowd. We've seen it. Churches are emptying. People turning their back on Christ and going with the world. You must choose today whom you will serve. As for me... Josh, Stephanie, and my five kids, we've made our minds up. I made 
The kids' minds for them. And you know what? When they get out of my house, they'll have to make up their own mind. But until they get out of my house, Josh makes the decisions for them. And they, and they don't choose to go to church. Josh chooses for them. As for me in my house, Christian, get up! You're going to church. Isabel, okay, you're already up. <laughs> Isaiah, let's go. Emma, your mom's going to get you ready. <laughs> Howie, <laughs> your mom's going to get you ready. <laughs> well, we're going to church because we love the Lord and we love the Lord's day. We choose to follow the Lord. We get out in the world, we're going to choose to follow the world. I mean, we're going to, that's that way wrong. Choose to follow Christ. I'm glad I caught myself. You have to choose for yourself. When Gracie Bell leaves my house, she's going to choose for herself. That's why we see a lot of kids turn away, don't we? You have to choose. Which side are you going to be on? The side of Judas and the world and pagans? Or the side of Christ? I choose to be on the side of Christ because Christ chose to be on the side of Josh. And to take his cup. To take his sin and his wrath and his judgment and his curse. And to drink it all the way down. That he loved me that much. Even a, a, a poor, pitiful, despicable, nasty sinner. Jesus died for me. So I choose because he loved me. I love him. And I hope you'll choose that too. Judas made his choice. A soul damning, eternity sealing choice. He had every opportunity, but Judas today is in hell because he refused. Make your choice today. Choose to follow Jesus. Choose to be on the side of Christ. It's the side of forgiveness, of love, compassion, care, heaven. Why would we choose the other way? Why would we? Choose the side of Christ. I'll tell you this. Out of all those days that I mentioned at the start of this sermon, they may not mean nothing to you, but the worst event, moment of your life will be the moment you turn down Jesus Christ and go to hell. Don't you dare do that. That day will live in infamy throughout all eternity because you'll know you should have chosen Christ and didn't. Choose you this day who you will serve. Choose you this day. Let's choose to follow Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for what it teaches us here about our Savior. We saw Judas, but he just become the black backdrop so that we could see the diamond of Jesus Christ all the more brightly. And I pray that everyone walks out of here today loving Jesus more, worshiping him, and I pray, God, that they want to follow Him. Where else would we go? I pray, God, that we would choose to follow Christ today. I pray if there's anyone in here, God, who is an unbeliever, they're standing on the side with the world, with the crowd, with the, the pagan soldiers and, and the fake religious leaders and the, the hypocrites, that today would be the day that they would that you would use, and I think that would be an amazing thing, that you would use the terrible example of Judas to open our eyes to that hypocrisy and that they put their faith in Jesus today for the first time. Please, God, use these words.
to accomplish your purpose, to stir our hearts to a greater love of Jesus Christ. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.